Did you pee your pants? Um, yeah. No. I mean, no, I don't think so. They're pretty dry. Okay. Am I going to be okay? I have no idea. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Emergency Medicine Journal Club podcast. It's a medical education podcast where medical students teach each other about emergency medicine. My name is Armand, and I'm a fourth year going into emergency medicine, and I'm joined by my Frankie co-hosts, Frankie and Kyle. Hi, this is Frankie. I'm also going into emergency medicine. Hey, I'm Kyle. I'm also a fourth year going into emergency medicine. That's right. And he's also still still going through puberty, just like me. I'm yeah. sure I'm going to have a voice crack in this episode. There's been one in every other episode. Guys, I just woke up. So it's going to be that sort of episode where I slowly seem to gain energy throughout the episode. Mm-hmm. So by the end of this, I'm going to be okay. super excited about being here. Just snort some coffee. Um, I don't know if that is an effective delivery system for caffeine. Grind up the beans and snort them. I think I could do that, actually. I have a coffee grinder that could grind them real real fine, you know? Um, anyway, I totally forgot. We actually got an email from somebody. Like, this is the first what? email we've ever gotten, ever. Why didn't uh, I see it? <laughs> what? You, you might have seen it already. Uh, here we go. I don't think so. I wanted to let you know about... I'm not going to say this person's name, but this guy, uh, uh, he's in his 30s, and he's um, he's an author. He's the author of Mold Medic. He's an expert on mold remediation. And um, I'm pretty sure this email is sent to everybody who has a podcast in case they want to interview this uh, guy who does mold stuff about mold. We're not going to do that. I'm going to delete this email. But thank you yeah. for emailing us about mold. You deleted it while I was reading it. <laughs> oh, I did? Did it go away? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just what? Sorry. I mean, we're not going to do anything about that. We would love it if somebody real emailed us. Instead of yeah. just getting the WordPress update emails, but that's okay. All right, guys, the format of this podcast is the same as always. This time it'll be me walking Frankie and Kyle through a case that I actually had, and um, they're going to be trying to get through it with their collective dignity and honor intact. And in the end, hopefully the patient will be alive and well, but uh, who knows? Maybe they might not be. But in that case, at least you learned something. We have some goals on the podcast. They are one, to learn one new thing, two, for that thing to be about emergency medicine, and three, to have some fun. So with that, you guys ready? Yeah. This time, Kyle, you are going to be on your primary care rotation. And it's early in the morning. I'm so sorry, by the way. It's early in the morning and you walk in for some reason at 6 a.m. Just when the... It's early in the morning for primary care? That's right. Yeah. Just roll with it. Anytime before noon is early in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We're not morning people like you. We can't do also, it. Also not parents. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. Well, if I had my brothers, I'd be asleep now, but she woke up at five. So. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Anyway. All right. I'm on my primary care rotation for some reason. Yeah. You're on your primary care rotation for some reason. It's 6 a.m. You're a fourth year on your primary care. I don't know what's wrong with you. Oh. Yeah. Um, again, <laughs> 6 a.m. So you come in and the only people there are the, the old front desk person who you recognize and some new front desk person who you don't recognize. Um, she seems nice though. You wave to her and then you go and sit in your, your preceptor's office and pull out your computer and you just start going through the people who are coming in for the day. And then you hear some screaming. What do you do? Kyle. What kind of screaming? It's, it's just like, ah, uh, med student, we need your help. All right. Um, walk towards the screaming. It sounds like a horror film. 
<laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Somebody with an axe is going to show up out of nowhere and just... Anyway, so uh, you walk towards the screaming and it's at the front desk. And what you see is that the old front desk person who you recognize as the old front desk person is standing watching the the new front desk person who's on the ground and shaking. What do you do? Check the scene for safety. All right. So you check the scene for safety and notice that there's a, for some reason, like broken lidocaine bottle (laughs) open on the ground. And you quickly pick that up and put it in the sharps container and uh, good for you, Kyle. Also, you move some chairs and stuff out of the way for her. Is there anything else you want to do? Is there like a, I don't know, sweater or blanket or something I can put under her head? Yeah, you take off your own Patagonia that you always wear because you're trying to transition to being an emergency medicine provider, and you put that under her head. All right, I'm going to, can the old lady please call an ambulance? <laughs> yeah, so you, you uh, have the other lady uh, call an ambulance. Is there anything you want to do while the ambulance gets here? I mean, well... Is she still actively seizing? She is still actively shaking. Shaking. Okay. Yeah. Ambulance is on its way. Cool. Hello, new front desk lady. Can you hear me? Not responding. Just kind of going. (coughs) Hmm. See a little bit of like bloody saliva foaming out of her mouth. No, that doesn't sound good. Yep. It's been about a couple minutes now. What if if I shake her a little bit? Okay, you shake her, and then she actually stops shaking. Not like like shake, shake, just like a little shoulder. You give her a little shoulder shake. Sternal rub, just to make it easy. You didn't need to go there, but you gave her a shoulder shake, and she actually stopped shaking a little bit, and has now stopped shaking completely. Ambulance is still on her way, but now she's she's just going... All right, can I turn her on her side? Okay, you turn her on her side. That's great. She's starting to move a little bit, actually, not shaking. Like purposeful movement, it looks like. Purposeful movement? Okay. Can I ask her to open her eyes? Yeah, she opens her eyes very slowly and kind of looks around and then kind of looks at you and is like, doesn't really know who you are. She's starting to wake up a little bit, actually. You you sit her up and she's just kind of like doesn't know what's going on. But then the ambulance, the EMTs get there and um, they take her into the ambulance and they're like, hey, I want to come and for some reason and and you're like yeah sure uh you guys are on your way to the emergency room in the ambulance and uh it's it's frankie who's on on her emergency medicine rotation and kyle you're both just going to be on your emergency medicine rotation and now you're both in the ed and uh ems calls in and they have a 50 year old female with a history of migraines and depression she's presenting after a witness seizure at work the co-worker said she did not see the patient have any head trauma and the patient is now denying anything but a little bit of a headache. She's ANO times three en route to the ED. Her blood glucose is 169. And you see them come in through the doors and they put her in room 12. So what do you guys want to do? Do we have vitals? Yeah, so you take a look at her vitals and her vital signs are stable. Her heart rate is right now 85. Her pulse ox is satting 100% on room air. Her blood pressure is 120 over 80. Her respiratory rate is 13. Okay. You said she's ANO times three? That is what the EMS report says. Okay. Can you hear me? You shout that at your computer. The computer does not respond. I was going to say I want to go to the room 12. (laughs) (laughs) We can just yell questions across the ED. I feel like. I'm cool with that, Okay, fine. We go to her room. Make sure that the ANO times three is actually accurate. Hi, my name's Kyle. I'm a fourth year medical student. 
This is Frankie. She's also a medical student. Hi. Can you tell us your name? My name's um, Felicia. Hello, Felicia. Nice to meet you. Sorry, Felicia Elliott is my name. Felicia Elliott. That's right. Do you know where you are right now? Yeah, I'm in the I'm in the emergency room. Remember what happened? Um, I was told that I had a, a seizure. I remember, um, I woke up. I remember waking up this morning and driving to work. I, I just started a new job. It's my first. I was my first day at the job, and I just remember. I was really hungry and really thirsty, and the next thing I know, I'm waking up in an ambulance. Has this ever happened before? No. Okay. Do you remember anything before you had the seizure? Um, just that I was... What's the last thing you remember before it? The last thing was that I was uh, sitting down at the front desk of where I work, and I was just um, working with some files. And I was just really, really hungry and really, really thirsty. And then I just, I don't remember anything after that. Just waking up in the ambulance. Do you have any medical conditions that you should know about? Uh, yeah, I, ha- I have migraines um, and mm-hmm. depression. And um, I am, like, I don't have a uterus. They did a hysterectomy in the 90s uh, for endometriosis. Mm-hmm. And I'm taking um, estrogen for that. I'm taking hormone replacement therapy. Okay. Are you taking any other medications right now? Just the hormone replacement therapy and sertraline. I take sertraline. Okay. Got it. When did you start taking the estrogen? Um, pretty soon after my surgery in the 90s. In the 90s. Okay. Yeah. I've been taking it for a while. When you had the seizure, do you know if you hit your head at all? Or does your head hurt right now? My head hurts a little bit. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I hit my head. I have a little bit of a headache, but it's like, it's like all around. Um, but I was on the phone a little bit in the ambulance with my other coworker and she says that, um, I didn't hit my head. I can also call her if you want to talk to her. Do you want me to call her right now? Yes, please. Okay. I'll do that. Hello. Hello. I don't think she would be this excited to talk, but (laughs) (laughs) this is Kyle and Frankie. We're medical students. We're taking care of your coworker right now who said she had a seizure earlier today. Can you tell us what you saw? Sure. So she works at a medical office uh, in a primary care. And so we actually have cameras at the, at the very front um, just in case the medical student who works here uh, starts taking stuff. And so basically Around like six, six o'clock in the morning, we were working together. She was sitting in the chair, but then she started like turning in her chair all of a sudden. And, and she like uh, started raising both of her arms for some reason while she was working. And I, and I tried to talk to her, but she wasn't like responding or anything. Um, and that happened for a little while. And then she slumped backwards into her chair. And this, this is all happening for like maybe like 30 seconds and then she started shaking, like her whole body started shaking. And then um, she, so she was on the chair and then she fell off the chair. And I remember that she fell onto the floor. And then for a little while, she was like having the shaking. And I tried to call somebody and the medical student came and she had like this red saliva, like foaming out of her mouth. And then the, the medical student turned her onto her side. And like this lasted for uh, like 
four minutes. Um, and then I, I, we called 911. And then afterwards, she was just kind of weird. No, she was like, not really there, you know? Mm -hmm. Did you try calling her name when she was doing, you said she didn't respond when she raised both her arms? Yeah. Uh, when I was, when I was trying to get her attention, I was calling her name and I was like, Felicia, Felicia. And, and she wasn't really responding at all. Um, but later, uh, when we were trying to get her attention, we kept saying Felicia, she, after, this is after like four minutes after the shaking stopped or sorry, four minutes of shaking happened. And then afterwards, um, I, I was like calling her name and, and she wasn't really that responsive, but then as the ambulance got there, like 10 minutes after her shaking stopped, um, she was, she was getting more and more responsive. Like she was looking to me and like, uh, making sounds when I, when I was saying her name. Okay. That's really good information. Thank you so much yeah. for talking to us. Kyle, do you have any more questions? Mm, no. Okay. Felicia, did you say that you felt really hungry and thirsty before you had the seizure? That's right. Yeah, I was really, really hungry uh, and thirsty. Did you feel like your body temperature was abnormal at all? No, not really. Had you had those, like, sensations of being hungry and thirsty before, like, to that degree? No, I don't think so, actually, no. Did you have any changes in your vision right before? see weird lights or anything no no changes in my vision had anything changed with your medication regimen recently like in the last you know a couple weeks a month mm, i don't i don't think so no i've been taking the same stuff for years now okay nothing's changed then have you noticed anything changing with your body at all like any changes that you would consider abnormal no i've been pretty healthy actually recently um yeah, I, I don't really notice. I haven't really noticed any big changes. I've been losing weight, but I've been um, kind of dieting and um, on an exercise plan. So it's kind of expected. How much weight have you lost? I've, I've lost like five pounds recently in the last like month. Okay. Congrats. What kind of diet have you been using? Uh, the paleo diet. Do you drink any alcohol? No, I don't. How about drugs? Uh, no, I've, I don't do any. I don't do any drugs. Any smoking? Uh, like weed? No, I don't do that. No, Cigarettes, no, no, no. Weed. I don't do anything. Yeah, I've opium. been trying to be very healthy. Opium. I don't smoke opium. No. Has the seizure type activity ever happened in anybody in your family that you know of? No, no. Do you know if you bit your tongue when it happened? Can you stick your tongue out? Yeah, I can stick my tongue out. So she sticks her tongue out and moves it to the side, and you can actually see that there's these little like red marks on both sides of her tongue. I mean, Felicia, did you happen to lose control of your bladder when this seizure happened? You mean like, did I pee myself? Did you pee your pants? Um, yeah. No. I mean, no, I don't think so. They're pretty dry. Okay. Am I going to be okay? I have no idea. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> That's the exact energy we want. <laughs> Comfort the patient by letting them know that you have no clue what's going on with them. But I like to be honest. Honesty is the best thing. I wouldn't put it like that, though, but okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have any all questions. You. We can do a physical. Okay. Could we just do heart lungs real quick? Yeah, yeah. All right. So um, you go ahead and you uh, listen to her heart and her lungs, and everything is clear. Everything is normal. Regular rate and rhythm. No MRG. Okay, cool. Um, just we'll move on sure. to the neuro exam. <laughs> yeah. 
Cranial nerves. What are they? All right. So you do your extraocular exam, all normal there. Her cranial nerves are pre- exam is pretty much benign. Um, she is able to do all the things that you ask her to do. Shrug her shoulders. <laughs> cranial nerves intact. There, we'll, we'll just say that. Can we do a fundoscopic exam? Uh, yeah. So you go and try and find a fundoscope that works in the ED and you fail. There's no mm-hmm. working fundoscope in the ED. Okay. Foolish question. Sorry. <laughs> How about a coordination? Could you do strength sensation in her extremities first? Yeah, sure. So you do. And then have her walk. Yeah. You do strength and sensation um, in her extremities. She's five out of five throughout normal bulk tone or basically your motor exam is pretty normal. Um, no adventitial movements. Her sensory exam intact to light touch grossly all over. Reflexes? Reflexes are two plus throughout. All right, Felicia, get out of bed and walk, please. She gets out of bed. She starts saying, I, I don't know if I'm feeling a little bit unstable, but okay. Um, can you help me? Yeah, I'll help mm-hmm. you. You guys help her out and you have her walk to the end of the room and touch the curtain, the end of her room, and then turn around and go back to her bed and you see nothing abnormal. How about a Romberg? Just for funsies. All right, yeah. So she closes her eyes and... It's normal. She's actually not unsteady at all. She's fine. Um, could we do finger to nose, heel to shin? Yeah, you do finger to nose and heel to shin. They're both normal. Cool. Our nurse Barb shows up and she's like, Oh no. What do you guys want to do? She's been here for like 30 minutes. Let that's not that long. <laughs> that's really actually That's a very pretty nice. good ED visit. It's a slow day, okay? I have nothing to do. I've been here for nine hours. Oh my God, Barb! And this is the first patient. Barb, go home. Let's order. <laughs> is <it your> shift over. <laughs> stuff. Everyone gets an EKG. Oh wow! Yeah, good point. I didn't put that in here. On this podcast, everyone gets a pregnancy test too. Even though she has no uterus. Let's That's right. Yeah. All right. So Barb walks her over, and she really <laughs> makes sure that you are looking at her while she's walking this woman over to the bathroom to get a urine sample, so that you can, <laughs> so that she can. Get <laughs> A urine sample for this woman without a uterus. And then she takes the urine cup and shows it to you. And then she puts it in the little, I don't know actually how they move that stuff to the the lab, but she puts it in whatever they put, move stuff to the lab to. And you get an immediate uh, negative beta HCG. Thank you, Nurse Barb, for indulging my med student. Great. Okay. <laughs> All right. The EKG gets um, gets there and uh, it does it real quick. You take a look at the thing and it's a uh, normal sinus, sinus rhythm at, what did I say, 85? 85. Can we get some labs? Sure. Nurse Barb puts in, uh, puts in an IV. It's like, let's let's do it. What do you want? CBC, electrolyte. Okay. A CBC, BMP. What else do you guys want? Lactate, DSH. Lactate. TSH, okay. CK. CK, okay. I mean, I'm assuming she's not in rapto, so it'll probably be normal. Just to check. I don't know what else to draw. That sounds... That's good for the initial. Okay, I'm going to go um, get that blood and send it to the lab. Is there anything else that you guys want to do for her? could give her fluids, but I don't know why we need that. She said yeah. she's thirsty. Maybe she's dehydrated. Yeah. Should we just give her a gram of Kepra? I feel like everyone who has a seizure gets a gram of Kepra. <laughs> Barb walks over to the patient and just starts slowly like patting her head and saying, do you want to do anything? No. no. Okay. All right. Nurse Barb <laughs> walks really. out of the room and um, goes and uh, gets, your, gets your labs and they're pretty fast. 
but then your attending shows up and is like, Hey, I heard this person, uh, she's like, takes you out of the room and is like, Hey, I heard this person had a seizure and, um, you don't really know if she hit her head or not. Uh, okay. Fine. I want to go check that Maybe. out. Um, and then your attending leaves and scampers down the hall into the dog bone. Um, mm-hmm. uh, all right. So nurse Barb is like, Oh, I see you want a head CT and I'm going to go ahead and take her to head CT. In the meantime, your labs came back. Her CBC was within normal limits. Nothing abnormal there. Her BMP, the only thing was her glucose was 169. Her, what'd you say? TSH was within normal limits. Her CK was within normal limits. Her lactate was 5.9. Did you guys get anything else? I don't think so. Mm-mm. Did you guys want to get anything else? A serum pregnancy test. <laughs> All right. So you get a serum pregnancy test. And Nurse Barb looks at you and just shakes her, you know, shakes her head, walks away and says she'll never work with you again. And so now she will only be taking um, labs from Frankie. All right. It's all on you, Frankie. (laughs) No pressure. I'm just kidding. I've ruined my relationship with Barb for the day. Yeah, that's right. I'm so sorry, Barb. I mean, honestly, I don't know if there's anything else that we get. Okay. Procedure, yeah. All right, your head CT is done. She's on her way back. You go to the head CT to read it. You realize um, I don't really know what you're doing very well. So you go to the yeah. the um, the radiologist and say, "Hey, can you help me read this?" And they say, "Sure." And what you see is pretty much normal, except for a mild hyperdensity along the right frontal lobe. Rot row. Favored to represent a trace recent subarachnoid hemorrhage or superficial siderosis. There are no acute infarcts or mass effects noted. What do you guys want to do? Representing an old subarachnoid hemorrhage? Trace recent subarachnoid hemorrhage in the right frontal lobe. I promised I would make this a short one. So while you guys were thinking about this for a little while, she starts shaking. Cool. Mm. Let's give her some Ativan, please. All right, Nurse Barb is bedside and is like, what do you guys want to do, Um, Ativan? Yes, please. Okay. How much Ativan do you want to give? Um, I'm just kidding. How <laughs> much do you normally <laughs> give Barb? <laughs> one Barb? All right. So um, one I'd Barb like is... One dose of Ativan. <laughs> sure. All right. Um, you give her one dose of Ativan. And um, Nero was there also because they heard about this patient and they're not really doing anything today. Before, before you said that, I wanted to page Nero and... <laughs> but um, she, she kind of ruined my plan there by... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Season again. All right. All right. So pretty rude, um, Felicia. I know. So she um, has that seizure, that shaking activity that she's happening. So you give her one dose of Ativan <laughs> and then the neuro, neuro is like, give her a little bit of Kepra too, you know, put that on there. Yes. You give a little bit of Kepra as well. Mm-hmm. And um, then her full body shaking stops. And she is now having a little bit of saliva that's filming in her mouth, but also making some very loud snoring noises. Could we uh, do a little suction on that stuff? Yeah, you turn on your suction and you suction it. And she's still like... Right, that doesn't sound good. What does Nero say? Can we like yeah. talk about that? Is she still breathing, by the way? like She's still breathing. She's satting at 100% on room air currently. Will she arouse okay. to sternal rub? Um, she's just like, uh, but it seems like she is a little bit responsive to your sternal rub. Can she open her eyes? I like, what do you mean? Like, are you going to open her eyes? Can she open her eyes when we ask her to? No, she does not open her eyes in response to you saying okay. open her eyes. Does she, she just kind of moans when you rub her? She kind of just moans when you rub her. Yeah. 
Yeah, by the way, Nero is gone. They actually saw her while you guys were talking about the head CT and everything. Okay, so what did they say then? They're writing their note now. They think she had a seizure. Okay. Can she talk at all right now? It doesn't really seem like it, no. You're asking her questions, but she's not really responding. She's just responding to that sternal rub. She's still making so that noise. Her, so her GCS is like... Not that great. Not good. Uh, also, so she's uh, Nurse Barb turns to you and says, oh, by the way, she's uh, starting to shake a little bit again. Uh-oh. Cool, more out of him. But not as like not as vigorously as before. Yeah. yeah. All right. So yeah, sure. We can give her another out of Is that what you want? Yeah. Also, she's starting to deset a little bit. She's at like Okay, 97. so we can probably and today her get her an airway. Um she's protecting her airway. So what what do you what do you guys want to do right now? It it seems like there's a lot of things in the air. So what what's the first thing that you guys are trying to do here? I would say first give her benzos and then intubate her. Okay. You give her another dose of benzos actually. And her, her like body shaking seems to stop. Is she still desetting? She's not, she's still making that noise. Yeah. She's like, and um, her sat is now at um, like 96. Sorry. What was it? Like, what did it go down to? So at first it was a hundred on room air and then it was 97 on room air. And it's going down. Now it's like 96 on room air. Okay. Can we put a nasal cannula on her and see if that helps? Sure. sure. You you put a nasal cannula and just run all the oxygen you can through there. Um, and her, her O2 stat goes up to 97%. Your attending is now sitting at the sitting. He's standing at the go. foot of the bed. He's just okay. kind of watching you and um, thinking, this is it. You're going to make me proud. Both of you. Ooh. Unlikely, but uh, yeah. Here for moral support. Okay. Can we like it. can we like shake her after open her eyes, all that stuff? Yep, you shake her, no response. Ask her to open her eyes, no response. Just the Does she withdraw to pain? No. Okay, well I would like to intubate her. I feel like just intubate her to keep her airway because we don't know what's gonna happen for if she has another seizure. Yes, please. Sure. Okay. All right. You ask, um, Frankie, you ask, you nurse, have to Barb. ask nurse Barb to get the uh, <laughs> Nurse Barb, please help. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I'm going to go get you your airway kit. And um, what, what do you guys want for intubation? Okay. I'm going to get you what you normally oh, do for intubation. Like, yes. A seven O tube. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And a Mac blade and some succinylcholine and atomidate. But Frankie, you have to ask her. Because she won't listen to me now. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> she hears everything that Kyle said, and she's gonna go get you your respiratory or your uh, airway kit with all that stuff. Uh, anyway, she's off to go get you the kit. She's gonna be back in uh, in a jiffy. Uh, in the meantime, this is like a very short meantime. Your attending is like, what do you think is going on right now? Do you think she's still having a seizure? She's not shaking. Well, not like currently. Maybe not, but she was before. She hmm. could easily be. Like rebleeding or vasospasm, if that was a subarachnoid hemorrhage, indeed. Oh yeah, that. Or she's just post ictal. Do we just like consult neurosurgery? Why? That's a good idea. Like- we can do that after all this is kind of blown over and we're a little bit more stable. My concern is that maybe she's still actually having a seizure. She's not shaking. Hmm. That's okay. my concern. All right, Nurse Barb gets right back with your airway kit, and actually, what ends up happening is you move her to another room because you can't do this intubation in the open and she just mm-hmm. has curtains in her room so you go into a room with walls and a door you close the door you call rt 
and they come down with a ventilator because you're going to intubate this lady. You get your video laryngoscope, you're at the head of the bed and nurse Barb gets everything ready and your attending is there just in case. And you do your all your checks and whatever for this procedure. And then you give her your etomidate is what you said you wanted. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you give her etomidate and that is your induction agent. And you use your video laryngoscope and you see the cords and you pass the tube, the 702 you have right into the cords. And uh, how deep did you want to go for the, for the, the tube? 22. Yeah, actually 22 at the teeth is a, is a good, is a good marker. You see the tube go through the um, cords. So, you know, it's well-placed, but obviously you have to confirm. So the tube is already in. Now, what do you want to do? Oh, by the way, before this, you did put in the succinylcholine. No, she's paralyzed. You put the tube in. Good. Great. Very good. Inflated the cuff. Now what? Do we hear breath sounds on both sides? Your attending takes or the tube and holds it for you, X-ray. and you put the end tidal CO2 on there to confirm right, placement. We're like all set up and stuff. All right. um, and so you see the CO2 changes. Um, you hear breath sounds bilaterally by putting your stethoscope that you totally have on her armpits and listening. You hear breath sounds there. Chest x-ray is on their way, and she's intubated. She is currently, I haven't really done a repeat vital signs here, but she's definitely tachycardic at like one, 105, 110. Her blood pressure is fine. Used Atomidate, which I'm, if I remember correctly, is pretty good at keep, uh, keeping people hemodynamically stable through intubation. Uh, otherwise, her O2 stat has now gone up a little bit. It's now at 98%. So good job there, guys. But we're still concerned that she might be actively seizing. But Nero is down and is like, we'll take care of it. So what do you guys want to do now? We'll let Nero take care of it. <laughs> She's now ICU. intubated on event. Her vital call signs Neurosurge. are... Call the ICU. Yeah, so you want to call a neurosurge, you want to call a neurology, but they're already in contact. And ICU, she's going to go to ICU because she's on a on a vent now. All right, so she's going to the ICU. I'm going to go ahead and fast forward so we don't have to make that neurosurgery call. Great, yeah. So I actually had this patient and this poor lady had her first seizure ever on her first day at a new job ever. So I go see her actually, I get the history and everything. And then I go upstairs to go write the note. And while I'm writing the note, she has another seizure in the ED and we come back and see her. You know, by the time we get to the ED, she's just kind of postectal is what it looks like. However, she's also not really protecting her airway very well. And the concern is that she's having still a subclinical seizure where she's not like full body shaking, but it still has that electrical activity going on in her head. And so the idea is like, all right, well, we still got to make sure she's not having a seizure like with electrical activity and, and she's not in status. And so they decide um, also that they're going to intubate her because of her uh, potential airway compromise. Um, and so they do the same thing you guys did. They intubated her. They used propofol instead of atomidate because you can also continue continuously use an infusion of propofol for somebody who is on uh, has an ongoing seizure as well. There you go. Very interesting. Um, all right, guys, let's talk about two to three things real quick, and then we'll end this whole thing. Um, so I wanted to quickly touch on the pre-hospital seizure management. And this is from the CDC, actually. All the stuff we talk about is great, except that when you have somebody who's having a seizure outside the hospital and you don't have benzos or anything on you, there's like nothing you can do, right? Like, except for kind of mostly what Kyle ended up doing. And so the things you want to do are note the time, and then get help. Just like you said, make sure the scene is safe first before you run in to do anything. Very good. Getting that broken lidocaine bottle. And then you want to call 911. And then you want to ease the patient onto the floor if they're not already on the floor because you want to make sure that they don't like fall and hit their head. 
You want to turn them on their side to maintain an airway, just like you would in somebody who's really drunk. And then you want to clean the environment of any hazards, things like sharps, things like table legs, things like chair legs, stuff like that. And then put something soft and flat underneath their head, like your Patagonia. And then you want to remove anything that might be an airway hazard for them or might get in, like might, they might choke on basically. So any necklaces, any ties, scarves. any scarves. Yeah, good idea. Any like... Um, like eyeglasses, you want to get rid of those too. And the things that you don't want to do is that you don't want to hold this person down or put anything in their mouth or give them CPR or rescue breaths or give them, if they wake up from this or if they um, the seizure resolves on its own, you don't want to give them food and water because obviously they're going to be like now like a swallow risk or, or an aspiration risk. Um, and so I came up with my own mnemonic for this. It's TIA. Even though this isn't a transient ischemic attack, it's TIA, time the seizure, Injury prevention, so get rid of everything on there and then get rid of anything around their neck. And then airway precautions, turn them on their side. What we're going to talk about, guys, is status epilepticus. Ooh. Yeah, because I just finished my neurorotation, so I felt like this would be applicable. Specifically, guys, we're going to talk about a great paper called Evidence-Based Guideline Treatment of Convulsive Status Epilepticus in Children and Adults, Report of the Guideline Committee of the American Epilepsy Society. And this was published actually in 2016. Um, ASEP, the American College of Emergency Physicians, has their own set of clinical policy that was published in 2014 in January that covers a whole bunch of things for status as well. This was published in 2016 and has some really good evidence um, in it as well. But before we do that, what is status epilepticus? Actually, what is a seizure? Abnormal electrical firing in the brain. Yeah, synchronized electrical activity there. in the brain. Yeah. What's status? Prolonged seizure leading to potential damage. Greater than 20 minutes. I think it's greater than 20 minutes. Yeah. 20 minutes of continued seizure activity. You guys didn't fall into my trap. I was trying to trap you by saying like, ah, oh, seizure that lasts more than five minutes. Yeah. The, the There's a whole bunch of definitions that I've seen. Basically what I've seen is that any continuous seizure that lasts for more than five minutes, or if you have two seizures or more, in a span of five minutes without return to baseline, those aren't quite the definition of status. Status is when you've had a seizure that goes a really long time, like more than th like 30 minutes, that starts leading to neuronal death. Mm -hmm. And so you obviously don't want to leave people for 30 minutes to seize. Only at and then be like, minutes. you know, you don't want to like get on the phone and be like, I don't think they're in status yet. Hold on. But you want to five, like whatever the literature says, like if it's, past their first seizure if over five minutes it's more likely to go into status right, right? If it's exactly yeah if it lasts longer than five minutes it's probably going to keep going it's probably not going to stop and you obviously don't want to just not do anything until 30 um but you're right so most seizures actually that are less than five minutes they usually get um they, they stop on their own usually why you don't do too much for seizures that last less than five minutes but as soon as they go over that five minute mark or gets out of their seizure and then has another seizure without going back to baseline that's when we start worrying um, so the whole goal of all of this, right, is that we have to stop seizures. And the reason that we have to stop seizures because, is because if they keep going for long enough, you start to have really bad neural outcomes. And the key here is that you want to stop both the clinical seizures, so the full body shaking and like the other types of seizures that you have, you also want to stop all that synchronized electrical firing. So a person may not actually be shaking. They may still be having a seizure though. You want to stop that. And interestingly enough, approaches to uh, like medicating people to stop, try and stop these seizures have been very varied and have sometimes been inadequate. People will give people benzos, but won't be giving them enough benzos to stop that seizure. And that's where this paper comes in. They basically wanted to look at what's the optimal 
medication uh, for early status epilepticus. And it's unclear until they got through all these uh, li this literature review they basically did and came up with some great recommendations. They looked at like 38 uh, randomized controlled trials with only patients in early status. And so it was a very, very good study. And they try to answer these five questions, which anticonvulsant is best as the initial and then the subsequent, so first line and second line therapy? What are the adverse event, uh, effects that are associated with the administration of that anticonvulsant? And then, you know, spoiler alert, benzos, we're taught to give benzos for status, but what is the one benzo to rule them all? And then we know what phosphany and phenytoin, and those are also used as anticonvulsants, is one better than the other? And then finally, when does giving anticonvulsant therapy, when does the efficacy just drop? Like after how many doses are you like, this isn't working, we need to go somewhere else. And so for that first question, what the best anticonvulsant is, they included 15 studies. They looked at a whole bunch of different drugs. They looked at intramuscular midazolam, intravenous, lorazepam, diazepam, with and without phenytoin mixed in, and then IV phenobarbital at all. And so what they found actually is that adults need benzos. Straight up, just adults need a benzo. And the best one to give actually is if you don't have IV access in somebody, give them intramuscular midazolam. I am midazolam for adults who don't have an IV access. For people who do have IV access, you can give them IV diazepam. But we're going to kind of go into it later. There isn't really too much difference between the different benzos. In kids, they need IV lorazepam or diazepam. Um, when we start getting into second line and, uh, drugs, we're going to talk about like phosphenitoin, phenytoin, um, Keppra, and uh, what's the other one? Depakote. Um, interestingly, uh, there's a trial in 2019 called the ESET trial, E-S-E-T-T, that looked at adults and kids who were refractory to benzos um, in generalized convulsive status, and they found no difference between those second line drugs, Keppra, phosphenitoin, or Depakote. And I always get these guys mixed up because, um, you know, like trade names and, and real generalized names. Keppra is levoracetam, right? And then phosphenytoin and phenytoin are their own thing. I don't think there's like a trade name associated with that. And then Depakote is valproic acid or valproate. All right. So the second question, what are the adverse effects? The big things that people worry about are respiratory depression, right? With benzos. People are so scared of giving benzos because they're scared they're going to cause the respiratory depression and eventually apnea in people. But in this wonderful study, they basically showed that the rate, uh, this is one of the studies that was included. This was in the New England Journal of Medicine and it was like a pre-hospital study, an EMS study. And they found that the rate of respiratory depression in those treated with benzos was actually lower than those who were treated with placebo. Respiratory depression is more likely to come from status than it is to come from you giving somebody a benzo give them the adequate amount of benzos is basically what this is all saying. They found also in peds, respiratory depression, you know, obviously one of the big things that we want to worry about, it's even less reported in kids than it is in adults. And there's no differences in the rates of respiratory depression between midazolam, lorazepam, and diazepam by any route. So kids get a lot of dia, uh, people, kids with epilepsy a lot of the time get diastat, which is a rectal form of diazepam. So that's what they mean by like any root. So rectal, um, IM, there's also buccal um, benzos as well. Um, some of the other adverse effects that you might think about are cardiac symptoms, things like hypotension and arrhythmias that come from benzodiazepines. And I think the highest prevalence I saw of that was somewhere around 10% to 30%. So it's not like they're, you know, and that 30% is including things like altered mental status as an adverse um, 
you know, as an adverse outcome, which like the person is in status and also you're giving them like a little bit of, uh, of a benzo. So understandable that they're going to be, have a little, be a little bit altered afterwards. So this is all basically saying that it's not going to, it's not uncommon to have these adverse effects, but you are much more likely to cause respiratory depression in somebody who has prolonged status than if you give them benzos. All right. Next question. Which is the one benzo to rule them all in adults with, without IV access? It's the I am midazolam, like I said, otherwise there's really no difference between like lorazepam and diazepam. You should use one of those two guys. Um, in kids, there's no difference between IV lorazepam or IV diazepam. Those are the two that were studied. Non-IV midazolam, actually, so the IM or intranasal, they have that as well. And buccal is probably better than using diazepam in whatever route, IV or rectal for diazepam. So go for the non-IV midazolam in kids um, if you're deciding between midazolam and diazepam. It's a lot of azepams today. So many and pam. Yeah. All right, so you guys know what uh, phosphanitoin and phenytoin are, or the difference between the two? It's not really useful to know the difference between the two. One has phos in front of it. That's right, yeah. Yeah, one has phos in front of it. Phosphenytoin is a prodrug. It turns into phenytoin in the body. The reason you want to use phosphenytoin, and by the way, the two aren't really, there's insufficient data to basically say that one is better than the other, but phosphenytoin is better tolerated because when you're infusing it into someone, you get less infusion reactions, you get less like IV site, um, like vasculitis and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. So it, it's tolerated a lot better and it's like an IV infusion that goes quick. So it's available quicker. And then finally, when does anticonvulsant effect, uh, efficacy drop significantly? And basically, I reworded that question because that sounds kind of weird. It basically means like after how many different anticonvulsants do, do you have to just move on to like intubating the patient, okay. sedating the patient? Two or three. Yeah. I guess I won't go into the research, but I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, in adults, the second anticonvulsant is always less effective than the first. And the third is like substantially less effective. So your first line, this is a study that was done um, in veterans. Basically, it was a VA study. And it showed that the first line drug to work about 55% of the time, 55.5% of the time. And then the second line drug that they used worked 7%. So you add that on, that's uh, 60 2.5% of people stopping their status, right? After that, the third was only 2.3%, added about 2.3%. So 2.3% isn't a small number completely. That's still like some people, but when you get to your third agent, you should really be thinking about like, all right, it's time to start thinking. In fact, when you get to the second agent at 7%, you know, if your first agent doesn't work, if your benzo doesn't work, you need to start thinking like, all right, I need to start going to simultaneously preparing my second line agents, but also simultaneously start preparing, intubating this person and sedating them. In kids, there's not as much good data, but it's basically showed that the second dose is less effective than the first, just like in adults. No data on the third dose. Uh, that's that's the whole paper. That's the literature that we, review that we did. There's a great website out there um, run by Dr. Anton Hellman, who he does EM cases. And it's a fantastic podcast that everyone should listen to. And he has this great like algorithm for initial ED management of status. And the first step in this person's care should be get help because you're going to be doing a lot of stuff simultaneously. A lot of these steps happen at the same time. So you're going to need people to help you do stuff. So get help. And then, you know, the, I have a question for you guys, basically, right? Normally we think of status epilepticus like five minutes because most seizures do end before five minutes. What do you guys think? Do you think you should wait those five minutes for that seizure to end or should you treat the seizure 
when you see the seizure? I mean, in the ED or yeah, yeah, in probably. The ED. I mean, probably because you don't if you if the patient's an unknown, not known to you, and you don't know how long it's going to last. I mean, you should have everything on board, obviously. Right. What do you think, Kyle? I mean, I wouldn't just like the second they start seizing wouldn't do it, but like, yeah. I'm not going to sit there and wait for five whole minutes. Like, you yeah. Can, Cause even if someone just has like a two or three minute seizure and like why you can still give abortive medications to yeah. in general, I mean, protect their airway still. Cause like you can have issues while you're seizing. Right. So that's the exact same thing that the um, expert opinion um, was on Anton Hellman's uh, EM cases website. Basically they were saying that, um, you know, one, you don't want to wait five minutes because obviously you don't know this person's uh, history. You don't know where this is going it, it, and you want to basically plan for the worst. On top of that, it's the ED, right? By the time that you do wait those five minutes, if you were already like thinking that I'm going to abort this person's seizure, by the time you say like, all right, I want these meds, I want, um, you know, intubation and all this stuff ready. By the time you do all that stuff, five minutes will probably have passed. And if the person's mm -hmm. seizure is already done, great. You don't need any of the things that you have asked for, but if it mm -hmm. hasn't passed, you're ready to abort the seizure. Mm -hmm. The second thing you do after that is you do your A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Do you guys know what those stand for? Airway, breathing, circulation, disability. No, <laughs> I tricked you. I'm like, uh... so that's our, that's our trauma ABCs. Um, you're right in the first three. ABC is still airway, breathing, circulation, but the D, E, F, G stands for don't ever forget the glucose because that's one of the reasons people can become mm. hypoglycemic and seize. So do a quick glucose check on them. And if they are hypoglycemic, correct that. ABC, same as always, DEFG, don't ever forget the glucose. Always be closing. That's right. Always. For their airway, by the way, what you want to do is put them in lateral decubitus. But if you are thinking yeah. that you're eventually going to intubate them or you're really concerned for their airway, get their head up. And then this is what happened in this lady. They just put a nasal trumpet in, which I'd never seen in a real person until today. And it cannot be comfortable but she was breathing. Okay. I guess. And then good job on Kyle. He actually thought about this. Get suction ready as well. Actually, anytime you have to intubate somebody, just start thinking like, I'm going to have to need suction in this room ready in case. Yeah. Um, the next thing to do is to get IV access in the person. This is very hard to do. You can obviously see why in somebody who is actively seizing and is like moving around a whole bunch. And that is why that so many studies have been done about like, I am midazolam. Um, because it's very hard to get like poke somebody who's like like shaking on you, and the reason you want to get IV access is because you want to get some labs. You guys did get a good job, uh, do a good job of getting some labs. You want to get uh, glucose, obviously, um, and then a BMP. You want to look at their tox screen. You guys, mm, one thing you guys didn't that urine about. tox would have been a good idea, or a serum tox. But like, how do you get? Oh, you just cast them. Yeah, sure. She gave us a urine I mean, sample not for my like... pregnancy test. Though. That's right. She did actually get that urine sample for the pregnancy test. So you could have run the Utox off of that. True, true, true. Wow. Yeah. That was a big one even. And then a very good idea would to be get a beta HCG in a patient. Now, I'm actually very happy that you got the pregnancy test on this woman because she might have been lying to you this whole time. She might have had a uterus. She might have been... That is so That's true, Armand. You know, 100% totally pregnant at 50 years old. I don't know. Yeah. So get a beta HCG, a CK. Good job, Kyle. Uh, creatinine, a lactate will help you determine if this person has actually had a seizure and if they're like, you know, had a little bit of that or anaerobic metabolism happen. And then a VBG can help you as well. 
Um, and then obviously while you're doing this, where you're getting your IV access and getting all these labs, you want to consider management for potential reasons this person is having that seizure. Are, are they hypotensive? Um, are they going to become hypotensive when you when you intubate them or give them benzos? So get ready, get a bolus of a crystalloid ready and get a push dose presser ready. If you need those things, better to have them, right? Um, and then after all that's done, give them the benzo, IV lorazepam, four milligrams if you can for an adult patient. Yeah, four milligrams for an adult patient. Like I said, that's a lot, but you don't want to undertreat these people because if they yeah. if they, you undertreat them and now they're not full body shaking, but still having a subclinical seizure and that goes on for long enough, you, le you lead them down the path of like neuronal cell death in addition to the fact that they're going to be respiratory depressed from the, sub, uh, from the status and not the benzo that you gave. So don't undertreat these people. Yeah, don't wait those. The big takeaway from that uh, blog article from EM cases was don't undertreat status and don't wait on status. Give them the benzo. IV lorazepam, four milligrams. Then you can wait four minutes. And if they haven't stopped seizing, give them another four milligrams. Or you can not do that. Do IM uh, intramuscular midazolam and you give them 10 milligrams of that. I thought for sure when you were talking about this lady being really hungry and really thirsty and like the estrogen, that there was some hypothalamic issue and not oh. like a subarachnoid issue. Like I went down like a weird rabbit hole. So I was like going that way and I was like really surprised. Well, it's not a bad idea. I mean, we are going to get to the point in our careers where we're just like, uh, another seizure. But that's an, yeah. that's an, uh, that's an interesting point that I didn't actually think about for this lady. Yeah. I don't um, really know. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. Ugh. All right. So you do your, you know what happened to her? Yeah, I'll get to that. So, uh, okay. you give her the IV benzos and if your IV benzos don't work, remember those are our first line. We move on to our second line and our second line agents. We know there's not really a difference between how well those work. Um, so you want to give her either, you know, phenytoin or phosphenytoin, but you don't want to give those in people who are in uh, a seizure due to some kind of toxicological thing happening. So if they're like high on drugs and having a seizure from mm -hmm. that, because phenytoin and phosphenytoin can mess with sodium channels and there are other drugs that can mess with sodium channels. Don't do that. If there's any inclination for you thinking that they may be having a seizure due to some drug overdose, um, you can give them Keppra, which is actually pretty safe, or you can give them Depakote, which you absolutely do not want to give in people who are pregnant. Oh, I feel like just like if it's a female, maybe not Depakote. Yeah, not Depakote for them. Keppra is okay. If they're still not having any response with that benzo, so straight up, if they're not having a, a abortion of their seizure, with the benzo, start immediately thinking, all right, I might need to get, intubate this person, get that ready. And that happens simultaneously with you administering the second line um, anti-seizure meds. Anyway, still no response from all of that. Get ready to intubate with rapid sequence intubation with propofol and then either rock uranium if you have sugamidex, which is the reversal agent for rock uranium, or uh, succinylcholine, which is a, like a pretty fast acting paralytic, like quick on, mm -hmm. quick off. And that is basically it. After you've kind of dealt with all that acute stuff, you can start considering other things like why this person, why is this person having a seizure? Is it like they're extremely high blood pressure, which is because they're having intracranial hypertension for some reason, um, because there might be bleeding in their brain. Um, is it something metabolic? Is it something toxicologic? Is it preeclampsia or sorry, is it eclampsia? Mm -hmm. Start thinking about that and simultaneously send them to CT to get a head CT. Mm -hmm. That is status and this paper. Wow. Mm -hmm. So this patient, and we don't have to go too deep into this, but when we think of subarachnoid hemorrhage, we think like head trauma, right? Mm -hmm. She had no head trauma. Normally when we think of non-traumatic subarachnoid hemorrhage, it's like there's blood in the basal cisterns because there's been an aneurysm that's ruptured, but there was no blood in the basal cisterns for her. 
it was cortical blood in the, and it was in like the right frontal lobe. Interesting. Right. So I went down the rabbit hole, looked up a little, a couple of the things that one of the attendings um, thought about for the differential. And it was like either a cortical vein thrombosis. So one of the veins in the subarachnoid area had like a little clot and then blood would keep pushing on that clot. And then the vein would kind of leak a little bit of blood or she had what's called RCVS, which is reversible reversible vasoconstriction syndrome or reversible cerebral vasoconstriction syndrome where you have dilations and stenoses of your vasculature in the brain. And then that goes away on its own in three months. So anyway, she's intubated, brought to the ICU, gets out of the ICU, extubated, is brought back to the acute stroke unit. I see her afterwards. She's just kind of like slow and foggy because of all the drugs and everything that's happened. But again, neurologically, probably baseline. And then they do an MRI and I actually found out from the neuro presentation while I was giving my neuro presentation, the person who was, you know, precepting that was like, yeah, she ended up having a cortical vein thrombosis. So I finally have closure now on that case. She had a cortical vein thrombosis. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Pretty crazy guys, right? Now crazy, you know about yeah. status. That's great. Yeah. I hope you guys learned something. Learned a lot, obviously. Good, good. That was fantastic. Now we can put the the morning you know jingle in there, right where you said that, and it wasn't prompted. That's all I got, guys. Do you guys have anything? What did you? What's one thing that you guys learned? Um, just the amount of benzos you have to give. I'm I was surprised by that because like it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if they don't stop, then you're just like pumping them full of benzos. But I mean, obviously that's fine if that's what they need. But I was surprised by how much that was. Yeah, I learned. <clears throat> One that Barb hates you. Don't mess with Barb. <laughs> <laughs> Two, the I am Medazlam is go to if you don't have IV access. I didn't know that. Also, right. Medazlam is Versed. Just oh yeah, throw that out there. Okay, all right. Medazlam is seen, Yeah, I've only seen Verse Versed used for like they give that to people who are like on route right no no I'm not, i've never seen it given in a seizure situation i'm just like you mm-hmm. know a trauma comes in and they're trying to climb out of the ct scanner so they give them i first had to knock them out or like you have to sew up a lack on a trauma patient and they're wiggling around everywhere because they're drunk or something i've seen mm-hmm. that done mm-hmm. never for seizures although i just oh. haven't seen seizure patients so that's why Cool. Well, um, I'm glad you guys learned something. I hope that was all fun. I think we accomplished all of our goals. Let's wrap up the episode. I would like to thank you, Frankie, for being on and also you, Kyle, for being on as well and joining us all the way from the South. Guys and gals and non-binary pals, if you like this podcast, please share it with two friends and only two. Leave us a nice review on iTunes because that makes it so more people see us. And then you can follow us or heart us on Spotify. Rank us number one at programs, although I'm pretty sure all the program lists are done. It's almost time, guys. Uh, The show notes for this podcast are available at emjccast.com. And if you want to reach out to us and you're not a mold person, uh, please do that at emjccast at gmail.com. Or if you are a mold person, but it has something to do with the emergency care of somebody who's like having a reaction to mold. I would love to hear about that too. Mold poisoning. Yeah, mold poisoning. I got an idea now. Uh, okay, team, that's it. I will see you guys actually very soon, uh, virtually. Next week. Yeah, that's right. Friendly. Well, and in person, probably. Yeah, maybe. I don't know if they're going to stagger us, but we'll see. We'll never know these things. No, we'll know. No, you're right. Yeah, we'll never know. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> friendly neighborhood, not cynical. Met students out. Roll out, Autobots. Bye.
Bye. That's it. Bye, Thank, you. Felicia. Thank you so much. <laughs> Bye, Felicia. Oh, I didn't say that's the whole reason I made that her name. I was waiting <laughs> for that. I was really, once you said it, I was tempted to just be like, all right, bye, Felicia, episode <laughs> over. <laughs>